All right. Two scripture texts this morning. Uh, first one is from Psalm 22, and we're going to read verses one through five. And there we read these words that are familiar if we know the story of Jesus' death. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And then our gospel text for today, which is related, Mark 15, 1 through 39. It's quite long, but we can't tell the story of the passion without telling the large part of it. So hear these words from Mark 15. As soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. And then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone who, for whom they asked. And a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. And then he answered them, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again, then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. And then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, hail king of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed, spat upon him and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes amongst them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him, they crucified two bandits, one to his right and one to his left. And those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. 
in the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes, were also mocking him amongst themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, Lema Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried, gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. Hear what the spirit is saying through the scriptures. Thanks be to God. Whew. Perhaps we should just spend the next 15 minutes in silence. <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah. It's always a tough one. Yeah. Well, we're here on Passion Sunday, but usually we observe this as Palm Sunday. It's both things. Andy, why are we doing that? Well, <laughs> for one, I think both of us said to try to observe Palm Sunday without kids waving palm branches doesn't make sense. Seems kind of goofy. Um, and we've, we've talked about Palm Sunday for the last uh, couple of years. And, um, and, and I'll be honest, I think another reason we chose to do this is because quite frankly, I would usually try to avoid Passion, <laughs> Passion Sunday, but I think it's really important to actually lean into this this year and to talk about um, what we read in this story and what we read in the psalm. And this seems to have a little more weight in this year in particular. So that's why we're talking about it. Yeah, it's for, for some reason or for many reasons this year, the understanding, I think we've done a lot of practicing this year, understanding the domination systems that counter the celebration of Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and being celebrated by the people, by the normal day-to-day -day people, right, who are following him. Mm -hmm. And this year for me, I, I really just needed to kind of feel into what it felt like from his perspective to participate yeah. in something so terrifying, so painful, so intense that lasted for so long, not to compare our year of suffering to, to being executed, but it, it's just... There's something about compassion and empathy and resonance here where it does feel personal in some ways right mm -hmm. now. And so many people are suffering or have suffered uh, since last Easter that yeah. Passion Sunday makes a lot of sense to me right now. Um, yeah. I know we, when we talk about this story, it's like easy for me to lose perspective on where we are in the larger gospel. It feels as though all of a sudden Mark, who has been like 
immediately and just then and next and he's just moving 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 and all of a sudden we hit mark 15 and it's like a sudden stop where all of a sudden every single sentence has something in it and it's really slow all of these mm-hmm. details the amount of times i heard the word crucify in just the reading i did feels very repetitive and i mm-hmm. i was thinking about this might be helpful to people as they're imagining the mapping of the gospel and what this why this happens in especially mark but it happens in the other synoptic gospels as well uh martin Koller, who's a german theologian from the 19th century says that the gospels are passion narratives with extended introductions so the piece that we just read is like in some ways for the early church that is trying to process this experience and understand it theologically all of Jesus's life up to this point is merely an introduction to this chapter and what right. follows, which I think yeah. is really helpful for me because it, it is a sudden stop all of a sudden. Uh, mm-hmm. We're in this moment and it lasts forever. So I'm yeah. curious what, um, what in this story, which only really covers about like two days, right? Two days of Jesus's life. What, what in this scripture section this last day of his life struck you the most? Well, I'll start, I'm, I'm gonna actually start by going back to that Psalm. Yeah. Um, because the words of that Psalm, and we find them in the mouth of Jesus as he hangs there on the cross. The words of that Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, I heard that and who resonate just, deeply deeply resonate with that feeling uh we are recording this on the uh one year sorry one year anniversary of losing krista and i find myself (laughs) saying those things feeling a sense of of um deep uh pain and wondering where god is why did this happen And I think a lot of us feel that way. Why are we still in the middle of a pandemic that's killed a half a million Americans? This morning, we woke up to the news that there was another mass shooting uh, where 10 people were killed in Colorado. In in these two verses, you just feel like we could could continue to to shout out to God these verses. And so so that, to me, uh, right now, I resonate with the Christ who who suffered in solidarity with those who suffer, not to compare my suffering with that of Jesus, but, but to know that Jesus went through this. And I know that um, this is also where I, I want to talk a little bit about doubt. Um, and I think it's important to talk about doubt because oftentimes when we read um, in, in the gospel text, Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some apologists, some, some scholars will say, well, he's actually referring to the whole of the psalm, and the psalm gets a lot more hopeful toward the end. But you and I both agreed in our conversation before this that we think that that's kind of garbage. That's not true. And yeah. in fact, when Jesus says these words, he is very, in a very real and distinct way, feeling separation, feeling abandoned by God and feel like uh, feeling a sense of look I'm suffering and he's doubting and he's wondering did he do the did he do the right thing 
has he made the right decisions? And he's afraid and he's in pain and he's crying out to God. And, and there is this sense of separation. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a very real feeling for a lot of us, even those who have spent the majority of our life seeking to follow Jesus and calling ourselves Christians, we still, especially in moments of suffering, feel that sense of abandonment and pain. And, and, and I hear also some anger in Jesus' voice. This isn't fair. Where are you? Uh, so that, to me, uh, stuck out right away. And the other thing that, that stuck out from this story as I uh, read this passion narrative is the intense cruelty of humanity. Mm. Um, that they, I mean, you, you pointed this out in our conversation earlier that they, they could have just executed him, but they didn't just do that. They mocked him and beat him and, made, and just made fun of him and taunted him and humiliated him. And, and is the first time maybe ever that I noticed that even the dudes that are on the cross next to him who are yeah. suffering the same fate, even they are making fun of him, are mocking him. And just in addition to you know, the verbal taunting, there's the actual physical torture of Jesus. And so that you know, we, we've talked about how um, one side of uh, our tradition, one maybe wing of our tradition, uh, really leans into, hey, those people who did all of that, that's you. You mock Jesus. You participate you in personally that. You are the yeah. embodiment now of these people, and you are lost forever because you should admit that you are a terrible person. Right. right. That, yeah, I'm the one who killed Jesus, essentially. That's and, and, well. It's one win, yeah. And and I'm not saying that we completely dismiss our participation, but it can go to a really unhealthy place. And then the other wing or the other of our tradition would say, no, it was the system that did this. It was it was the the powers and principalities that did this. And I think there's a space in there for us to find some sense of identity with the people, but also with Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I think there's threading that needle is so important because it's the difference between losing hope entirely because you're just so, it's what we talked about last week with original sin versus original blessing. The sense of I'm so mm -hmm. depraved, I'm basically guilty of murdering Jesus or this other space where you're just so distant from it that you have no, you can't connect at all with the idea of being cruel or of going with the mob mentality or of despising somebody who is doing scapegoating behavior, which we know is a theme throughout the gospels. And we know that we're capable of that. I know I'm personally capable of that. And I'm also sensitive to the ways in which systems that I'm a part of, that I am a brick in the wall of, if you will, as a whole, do that together. And that I can lose control of it because I'm one of many. And so there's this mm -hmm. sense of putting yourself at, for me, in this story and to be able to yeah. identify, to regain my own humanity by identifying with everyone in this story. I mean, even with Pilate, when I read this story, I think, yeah, Pilate is really like tricky in this. 
he is avoiding responsibility when he has full control over what happens next. Instead, what he does is he asks a bunch of questions and he sounds like he's following the instructions of the crowd when really he has full control over what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And how often do I have the sense of, well, if I could just kind of slightly avoid claiming my responsibility in this situation, I'll feel better knowing yeah. that I actually have a lot more control than I claim, right? With Jesus mm -hmm. and what you mm -hmm. said around suffering, we have all hopefully not experienced this level of mockery, uh, suffering and pain, but we, we've felt alone in that way to the point of yeah. completely doubting our, our existence and why we're here. Um, but also being a part of the crowd, if uh, this is a story where I feel like I can inhabit every single position and do so with what, what follows for me is, oh yeah, I'm all of those things. And that gives me a choice. That gives me a choice of how to behave. That gives me a choice of how to become more human, to become more compassionate, um, but also to become more responsible in the places where I like to shift blame. We talked about shifting blame in Psalm 51. And I think that that's a big part of what happens in this story is you watch how no one takes responsibility for what's happening. And right. therefore someone many people are impacted in devastating and e almost eternal ways, right? Like we're still dealing with mm -hmm. the outcomes of this story. Right, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, it's quite natural for us. In fact, it's, I'm gonna use the word relieving to see Jesus' response to this cruelty mm. and to say, uh, it, and the response is doubt, yeah. deep doubt. Um, and I know that there will be those who might wince a little bit at the theology of a Christ who doubts God. Um, but as Peter Rollins points out in one of his books that you and I both read, uh, in order to truly be in solidarity with humanity, um, Jesus had to experience that. Yeah. And, and his and argument would, is that he did. And I would push it even farther in that. I mean, I cannot hear this story without going back to the garden where he mm -hmm. is deeply aggrieved, deeply agitated, already feeling abandoned by his friends, not yet God, but he start. he says like, please let this cup pass mm -hmm. for me. I do not want to do this. I don't want this to happen. And then the emotional experience that he has leading up to being actually crucified the torture that he experiences, I think he doesn't just doubt. I think he, in some ways, leading up to his quotation of Psalm 22, loses hope. And to yeah. experience that alongside the crucified Jesus, to know that even Jesus may have lost his own sense of something that we assume he knew his entire life, that God is not right. only real, but I am deeply connected to this God in such a way that I can serve. My mission in life is to bring that to other people. I embody that. And then in mm -hmm. these days to have that be so risked by the treatment that other people impose on him, that even Jesus loses hope is actually that's hard to take theologically, but I think it's so important for me in order to be able to identify with Jesus at all. Because if mm -hmm. all I deal with is the Jesus who can do miracles, I can't actually get inside that right. skin. Oh, you could, I, I could not have said that better. That's exactly how I feel. This is, it's so much more heartening 
to know that that because I, I think uh, in the tradition that I was raised in and the way I always heard this story, I could find myself going, yeah, he suffered. But he knew it was rough, coming. But he, and he knew, was yeah. He knew yeah, he was going to be knew. resurrected. It's fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, I, but I, as I have taken more time to examine exactly the garden moment and then this, this particular uh, moment where these words of this psalm fill the mouth of Jesus as he's suffering, I, I realize, oh, no, actually, in that moment, he doesn't have that at all. No. And I can relate to that, that feeling of, um, yeah, of, I'm supposed to just trust in God, and I don't even know where God is, or if God is. And that doesn't change the fact that um, God is always with me, but my knowledge, my understanding of that, my belief in that, my faith in that, that gets shaken particularly in suffering, yeah. in grief, um, in pain, in all of those things. And, and since we've been experiencing that on, on literally a global level, I can imagine that there are a lot of folks that feel this sense and who are experiencing doubt and who maybe are not, they're not connecting with a faith community. They're not connecting with God there because how can we say there's God? Look at this, look what's going on. And, and, and I think that it's, I'm, I see in this story that that feeling is, um, is not only okay, but maybe it's important to strengthen faith. It's necessary, right? I mean, mm -hmm. what, what, what we're about to head into. So this is Passion Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. We have a full week of Holy Week ahead of us. Maundy Thursday, the night in the upper room. Good Friday, when Jesus actually dies, which is the story that we're actually sort of talking about now. And then Holy Saturday, which is the dead zone where the disciples sit around afraid in a locked house and are terrified to go anywhere because they one they're in trauma and grief mm -hmm. and two they're terrified of the authorities right and our culture and i'm going to say this as the you know from from the perspective of our church uh which is generally middle class generally white um west from the west coast generally right like there's so many generalizations there but i think we can attend to um, Western civilization in the way that we know it. Our culture wants us to skip right past Good Friday and totally ignore Holy Saturday and go right to Easter. We want to go right to Easter. And if we sit with this text and we sit with what happens on Holy Saturday, even once a year, even if we just do Holy Week one time a year and do it faithfully, I think that we will have done deeper spiritual work because it is less easy for us to approach that pain and admit to our failings and admit to where we're feeling that grief and deal with it in those moments than it is for us to deal with the celebration of Easter, which we take for granted. Easter's coming, we know Easter's coming, but what if we sat with, what if Easter doesn't come this year and really had to deal with the doubt and the hopelessness so that we could grow through it so that there was some deeper understanding and not just this avoidance. 
I, th I feel like we yeah. avoid these questions far too often because we're afraid to see how deep they go. You and I were talking about grief that you and I are feeling right now around various things. And that it's like, I'm afraid if I sit too long that I will start crying and never stop. And that maybe the yeah. work that I need to do is actually to try that. And that Holy Friday and Holy Saturday allow me some space to do that because of the connection with this Jesus who definitely was in those moments and not just in those moments, but experienced them personally and without a whole lot of resolution available to him. I think he was, I think he didn't want to die. And I think he had completely lost faith in God at this point. And I need to, yeah. I need to do that for a while. Right. Sometimes I need to just say that yeah, that's real. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think any other year, uh, most other years, I am guilty of saying, mm, no, let's just get to Easter. Easter's awesome. It's my favorite day of the year. Um, yeah. Don't want to sit good, good Friday. I, I'll confess something. I think I've been to maybe less than a dozen good Friday services because I would avoid them. Mm. I don't want to hear that story. I don't want to deal with that. This year it's unavoidable. Yep. Have to, need to. I, I shared with you before we started recording, I didn't want to preach on this text today. Yes. Not today of all days. And yet there's a sense that we have to we need to. It's important for us to experience the fullness of humanity in the same way that Jesus was fully human and experienced the full range of humanity. It's, it's the way that we can get, though to me, Easter seems like a whole lot, whole lot further away than just a week Yeah. Um, right now. But going back to this psalm, which has a resurrection moment in it, right? It takes a turn and it says, yet you are holy and thrown on the praises of Israel. And you are ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were saved. There is this, this sense of resurrection hope. And it's, for me, it feels like it's coming. I just don't know when. I don't know if it'll be in, in a week. And I imagine a lot of people are experiencing um, a sense of when, when will resurrection come. Um, I also don't want to dismiss that, that there may be some who are hearing this conversation who, for whom they're starting to experience hope. Maybe they've gotten vac vaccinated and uh, they're seeing more of the sunshine and, and blooms coming out and it's spring and it's getting a little warmer and all of these things that typically bring us Easter sense of Easter hope. Yeah. And, and I don't want to um, dismiss that. I don't want to denigrate that at all. And there are many of us who aren't experiencing that. Right. And so I, and I think that this text allows us the opportunity, um, the important opportunity to be in that space, to identify with Christ in the same way Christ identifies with us, to embody 
that experience that, or, or at least a sense of that experience and to lean into that. I, I think, at least I'll just speak for me personally, um, this year, it's incredibly important for me to do. Well, that's one of the reasons I think that allowing for doubt in Christian community or lack of hope in Christian community is so important is that we can hold together and rely on the wholeness of who we are, that there are always going to be some amongst us who will be able to point to the light. There will always be some amongst us that are gonna be able to draw the, the folks who run too quickly to Easter back and say, and that we need to have the ability to have both doubt and faith, to have the complexity present, to go in one direction and another, and that where we have failed as a tradition where when we fail it's because we believe that there's only one right way to observe how the world is working yeah. and or how it should it's it's working this way for me so it has to work that way for you this right. story i think offers us the opportunity for that complexity and i would encourage people and this psalm as well specifically psalm 22 and its wholeness i think that this is a really beautiful set of texts to spend time with this week because mm. you do have that sense of my god my god why have you forsaken me and yet and you can kind of allow for both things to be real at the same time and not move too quickly yeah not avoid but also allow what mm. will happen what you know we all know that resurrection is real in whatever sense we attend to it and Sometimes we just got to be with the hard stuff first and to be able to go through it instead of skipping past it. So, yeah, I love what you're saying about it being an and. It is and. Yeah. And maybe that's the practice for this week as we head into uh, Good Friday and Holy Saturday before Easter. Absolutely. All right. A couple of questions. I'll go ahead and, uh, and ask for your consideration for those of you listening to this conversation. And the first question is simply this, uh, where are you at right now with faith and doubt? Where are you at? Where do you sit? Faith strong, doubt strong, somewhere in the middle? Just consider that, contemplate that, maybe have some conversation around that. And then uh, the other question is how far or near does Easter feel right now for you? Are you experiencing a sense of hope now and a growing sense of hope now? Or, or for you, does that seem further off? You're not there yet. And both of these questions allow for just some honesty with ourselves. And so we encourage that and, um, as you reflect personally and as perhaps you have some conversation around these questions. So. Um, Jules, if you would uh, pray for us to close us, and also um, it's your turn to sing. Excellent. Let's pray. Compassionate and present God, we offer you our prayers even when we are despairing. We give thanks for the presence and sacrifice of Jesus for this story that helps us to see ourselves and the world in ways that will help us to grow and to become more like you. We grieve 
the times when we have participated in cruelty, we give thanks for your patience and your love, even while we doubt and despair. We give thanks for the and yet of all of our journeys and that you remain with us steadfast and loving no matter where the world finds us. We pray this morning in particular for those who are the victims of gun violence and the victims of state violence. We pray for each and every person who has asked, oh God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken my family? And we ask that you help us walk through a holy week, through Good Friday, through Holy Saturday. And we pray always for resurrection. We give you thanks for all of these ways of being in the world, for all of the ways you have led us and continue to be present to us, the ways in which your, our feeling of your absence is not its reality. And we ask you to remain with us even as you remained with Jesus at the cross. Amen. All right, friends, let's sing the benediction together. By this point, it's probably just deep in everybody's bones. <laughs> the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious, gracious to you. The Lord lift up God's countenance upon you and give you, give you, give you peace. Be at peace this holy week. Love you. Have a good week. <laughs>